0: All right. It's good to see everybody this morning. In fact, it is great to see everybody this morning. I almost woke up my entire family. They come later and said, y'all got to come. Just make sure I got somebody to preach to. (laughs) Memorial Day weekend, 830 service, raining. You guys are officially my favorite people at our church. Don't tell them I said that in the next service. Um, But you guys are my favorite. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to the book of Joel. We are continuing, as you saw in that Summer in the Miners series here, we're going to our next minor prophet, Joel. We're going to look at that entire book today and do kind of like we have been doing. I just want to say how excited I am about so much going on as we move into the summertime uh, here in the life of our church. This coming Wednesday night will be our last Wednesday night with full activities together. The next week will be our VBS, and then we'll move into our summer list of activities. So much going on, including just... That same uh, idea of bacon biscuits in the Bible. That starts at the end of June. We'll be looking together on Wednesday mornings through the book of Philippians and a lot of other things happening. Next week, as Scott's already mentioned, our lunch with the staff. We'd love for you if you're a guest with us. If you're a guest with us and you're in this service, you are already my favorite guests that have ever happened or come here. So we would love for you to come. And to uh, be a part of that next week, and have you here with us. This is also an exciting week as we have our interns coming. You'll see their picture popping up, and see there they are behind us. Our interns and uh, Blake, our resident for the summer uh, here at Taylor's First. We're committed to to not only sending, as Stephen's already uh, alerted us to, we prayed about, but also raising up the next generation for ministry. And so we're excited to have them here. When you see them, say hello. And- and uh, I'm hopefully you'll be seeing them around this this summer. As we turn to the book of Joel, I'm going to keep the baseball theme going, if you will. The first the first time I ever witnessed a natural catastrophe or something was from a distance. It was the 1989 World Series. My dad's favorite team was the San Francisco Giants, and so I grew up watching and, and loving the Giants. Uh, will. Clark was my favorite player. And so the Giants somehow with kind of a a scrubby team with Will leading the way, Kevin Mitchell, Jose Uribe at shortstop, and some other guys had somehow made it to the World Series against the Oakland A's. And so you're right here, the Bay Series, just across the Bay. Oakland and San Francisco and Oakland was stacked. Mark McGuire, Jose Canseco, Ricky Henderson, Walt Weiss, just name after name, Of of, uh, great players, and they're playing in game three. The Oakland A's won the first two games, but they're coming back, and we're excited here for game three, because Will Clark was going to make it happen. But right before the World Series game three started that night, I'm watching on television from the safety of my own home in Red Bank, South Carolina, and all of a sudden, everything starts shaking, the screen glitches, and the announcer says something about an earthquake, and then it goes out completely goes out completely. There in California, known for its earthquakes, we uh, saw one happen right as the World Series. When the most people were watching at one time, right as World Series Game 3 started, an earthquake took place. That earthquake would rock the Bay Area. Sixty-nine people were killed. Several thousand were injured in that earthquake. And so I remember being a young, a young man, 1989. I can't, I can't do the math right now, but I was younger. And I remember, I remember asking my dad, my goodness, what happened and why did it happen? Asking my dad why this happened. Well, when we come to the prophet Joel, we have a similar situation. We have Joel looking at an event that has taken place, and now he is going to tell the people why this took place, why this happened. And so this morning, as we look to Joel, we're going to see a natural, a natural catastrophe that takes place for the people of God, and Joel is going to tell them why. Joel is going to tell them why. So if you'll look with me to Joel chapter 1, verses 1 through 4, and then we'll skip over and just read Joel chapter 2, verse 1. Here the scripture says, the word of the Lord that came to Joel, the son of Pethuel." Hear this, you elders, give ear all inhabitants of the land. Has such a thing happened in your days or in the days of your fathers? Tell your children of it and let your children tell their children and their children to another generation. What the cutting locust left, the swarming locust has eaten. What the swarming locust left, the hopping locust has eaten. And what the hopping locust left, the destroying locust has eaten. Now chapter two, verse one, blow a trumpet In Zion, sound an alarm on my holy mountain. Let all the inhabitants of the land tremble, for the day of the Lord is coming. It is near. Let's pray together. Father, thank you so much for this opportunity to be together this morning. You are good to us. And so God... Uh, in your goodness and in your kindness, you have given us not only the opportunity to be together and sing praises to you, but to look to your word. And so now, Father, we ask you to take your word, the prophet Joel and his message for your people and, and let it be heard by us today so that we too can follow after you in faithfulness. Father, thank you for the good gift of worship and the good opportunity to do exactly what we're doing. May you be glorified in it in Christ's name. Amen. Now, we follow the same type pattern, remember, as we come to the Minor Prophets. We, we see some major themes pop up. So our, our intent there here is to at least get you guys to understand who this is and the context is coming from, and then to see these major themes that flow throughout. God's sovereignty, the sinfulness and, and rebellion of humanity, as people, really, His faithfulness and grace that He gives, His judgment that is coming, His grace that He gives, and this call to response or even repentance. All of these minor prophets carry this theme, these themes through them, and we're going to see the same type thing in Joel. We don't know much about the prophet Joel, not as much as we knew about Hosea, and, and not as much as we'll know about some of the others. Really, really, all we know about the prophet Joel is he's the son of Pethiel. And really, it, it, that we don't even know who he is. And so we may know his dad's name, but we don't know where his dad's from or, or anything else about him. We do know that his name Joel means Jehovah is God. And so, so maybe here we can kind of give some understanding at least of his parents' dedication to the Lord and to, to be faithful because they, as they named their child a confession of that faith and belief. It's proved difficult to determine, really almost impossible to determine the date of this prophecy. Remember the minor prophets are, are working during that time after the reign of David and Solomon and when when Israel and Judah, the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom split apart. And so like last uh, two weeks ago, we saw Hosea who was who was prophesying to the northern kingdom, Israel. And, and, and now we'll see uh, others who will prophesy like Amos to Judah, the southern kingdom. We really don't know which one Joel is prophesying to. In fact, it doesn't even mention like many times the way we determine it, is what kings are named during that time. There's no king mentioned here. We don't have any date to go by or any king mentioned, so, so we don't even know the other leaders. A good case can be made uh, for his prophecy being before the fall of either the northern kingdom or the kingdom of Judah. No mention here of Assyria, no mention of Babylon, no mention of Persia. These were all the enemies of, of, North, of Israel and Judah later on. In fact, the ones they mentioned that of the enemies are Tyre and Sidon, and, and even Egypt and Edom. These were, these were earlier enemies of Israel. And so this gives us the idea, it's about the 8th century B.C. when he's giving this prophecy. What's significant about Joel and his prophecy is what triggered it. We, we see this there in chapter one, verse two. He says, listen, you elders, give ear all you inhabitants of the land. Has such a thing happened in your days or in the days of your father? This thing that triggered it is something they've never seen before. In fact, not only is it something they've never seen before, it's something that'll live on forever because it says, you're going to tell your children and your children's children on down the line, this will be something you'll talk about for a long time, this catastrophe that's happened. And as I mentioned, what Joel is coming to do is going to interpret for them what has happened and why it has happened. What here has happened is... Locusts have entered into the land. It tells us, I mean, in this very clear verse, cutting locusts came in, they ate it up. Swarming locusts finished up what they didn't eat. Hopping locusts ate what they didn't eat. And now now you come down, they've destroyed it all. Here, This is kind of how prophecy works for us. Really, we think of prophecy as telling the future, don't we? We think of it as telling, here's what's coming But oftentimes, prophecy also happens in this way with Joel, interpreting events that have already happened. That may be some mystery to you, events that have already taken place. And and the prophet comes in and says, let me tell you what that meant. And so the prophet not only tells what's coming, but he tells what's happened and interprets that for you. And so your understanding, here we have this land, these locusts have come in, And it seems like a mystery. Why did this happen? Why was this allowed? What's going on here? And Joel has come in as the prophet. He's going to unveil for them the meaning behind this disastrous event. These locusts have come. In fact, they're referred to as a nation of locusts. Remember, it's the nations oftentimes that God uses to judge his people, Assyria and Babylon. We've talked about that. Here he says what's judgment is coming is a nation. And this nation of locusts is powerful beyond all measure. Before we think this is kind of weird, these things have happened in history. It's happened even in America early in the 20th century. It's happened throughout historically of, of a swarm of locusts coming in and eating all of the crops and, 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 and terrorizing the people in the sense there's nothing they can do about it. Here in Joel, these locusts have come and they have destroyed everything, the Scripture says. They've destroyed it all. Everything is gone. It's devastating. devastating. The harvest has perished. In fact, it tells us in verse 12 that that gladness dries up from the children of man. In other words, there's no joy right now anywhere because the harvest is gone. Everyone has been affected. There's no offering to give back to the Lord. There's nothing to do in worship, and tells us even in verse 5, the drunkards even don't have their stuff. The drunkards pull from the the dredge what's, what's left at the bottom. They don't even have anything left. There's not even enough wheat. There's not even enough grain. There's not even enough anything to appease the drunkards here, the ones who have to have it the most in his head. And so everything has been devastated, and joy is gone, as verse 12 tells us. But not only that, not only did the locusts come in and they ate up everything, it tells us in verse 19 and 20, to you, O Lord, I call for the fire has devoured the pastures of the wilderness. The locust ate all of the harvest and all of the crops so there's nothing left. And fire comes in and devours everything else. In fact, it tells us that, that fire has devoured the pastures in the wilderness. The flame has burned all the trees of the field. Even the beasts of the field pant for you because the water brooks are dried up. There's not even water left for the animals. There's not a place for them to graze. There's not food left for the people. What the locusts did not uh, did not terrorize or tear up, the fire has come to destroy You see, everything now is in this terrible situation for the people. Nothing is left. There's no food left. There's no grain left. The locusts have destroyed it all. And what was there that they maybe could make something out of has been destroyed by fire. These two disasters have taken place. And many are surely asking the question, what in the world is going on? What is happening? Is there a God? is, is he really care about us? What's, what's, what does this mean for us? Where does this come from? And then really, if we were to think about it, this happens for us a lot, right? This happens for us even. I, I mean, I, I don't like to bring up what happened in 2020. Y'all know that was some crazy times. But when we think about COVID and everything else, we're sitting there going, what is, what is going on? We need some interpretation of this event. We need something. We need to know about why this is happening. What's going on? Is God trying to tell us something? He's trying to, is he even there? Anytime these natural catastrophes happen, the question comes, what is the meaning of all this? What's the meaning of it? Joel wants to make one thing clear to the people. One particular thing clear, and he'll work it out as we go. He wants to make one thing clear. As God's prophet, God takes full responsibility for what's happening. He takes full responsibility. In fact, if you look in chapter two, verse 25, that's exactly what he says. He calls the army of locusts his army. This army that has come, that's that's my great army in verse 25. I will restore to you the years that the swarming, the locust has eaten, the hopper, the destroyer, and the cutter, my great army which I sent to you. In other words, uh, Joel says, This locust that entered in and destroyed everything, that's God's doing for you. That's God's doing. This speaks to one of our themes here in the Minor Prophets the sovereignty of God over all things. We've talked about that before. We've mentioned it. As as one theologian says, God owns what he makes and rules what he owns. That's a, a good summary of what happened. God owns what he makes and rules what he owns. In other words, God is in control of all things. And though as the scripture teaches us, he's not the author of sin, it also tells us that there's not one thing that happens outside of his control, his permission. And so ultimately, we've talked about this before, the danger on the other side. What would be worse for the people is to look at him and say, these locusts have come in, they've eaten everything, they've destroyed it all, and we've got no reason for it. We have no idea what's happened. But Joel says we know exactly why this has taken place. Because God is in control. And why did he allow it to happen then? Why did he allow these locusts to come in? Why did he send his great army And I want you to understand something this morning. This is important for us in our our everyday walk and everyday life. God is not so much concerned about our daily comforts or our regular circumstances as he is about our eternal soul. And it's standing before him. We oftentimes look to God about our daily comforts, whether they've been removed for us or our our circumstances we're in, whatever that may be, whether it's difficulty or pain, we get some bad news. We oftentimes look at those daily comforts or or those daily circumstances and whatever the case may be, and we want to ask God, why is this happening? Why is that happening? But you need to understand God is not so much concerned about your daily comforts and your daily pleasures as he is is about the condition of your eternal soul that's what he's here trying to get them to see even oftentimes we see everything in life that happens out of the ordinary as disruptive for us right when something bad goes wrong or our circumstances or we get some bad news from the doctor we see that as disrupt as disruptive We act like, and we probably should learn this lesson that we know is not true. We act like there's some sort of normal out there. Y'all know what I'm talking about? Have y'all ever said, I can't wait for things to get back to normal? Have you noticed that they never do? Because ultimately, when we look at it, we think there's some normal out there for our pleasure, for our enjoyment, for our life, and we just want to get back to that. So we get angry or upset when disruptions come in or difficulty happens or or we get bad news or, or something doesn't go our way. We get angry or upset at that, and we get angry and upset at God. But ultimately, God uses those difficult things. God uses those hard things. God uses those disruptions in our life to keep us close to him and to wake us up from our sinfulness, to wake us up from going astray from him. The plague that happens here in Joel was God shouting at his people, wake They had moved away from him in sin. They have have rejected him. They turned away from them. And and, and God is screaming at them. He sends locusts in to eat all the food up. He sends a fire in to destroy everything else. God is screaming at them, wake up from your sin. That's chapter 2, verse 1. Blow a trumpet in Zion. Sound an alarm on my holy mountain. Tell them to wake up. This plague, Joel says points to something far more important and possibly far worse, surely far worse than a swarm of locusts. It points to the day of the Lord. He says in chapter two, verse one, blow a trumpet, sound an alarm, let all the habitants of the land tremble for the day of the Lord is coming. It is near. It is near. The day of the Lord speaks to God's judgment. It does throughout Scripture. It's used over and over again in the prophets. It's used even in in the New Testament. There's a coming day of the Lord where God's judgment will be. He says, I'm going to take you into the land of Jehoshaphat. We, We don't know if that's a true valley or not. Probably it is, but Jehoshaphat simply means God judges. And so we're going to take you into the land of judgment, he says. There's coming a day when I will judge you. And this judgment's gonna come and you will have to measure up to his righteousness and his goodness and his plan. And so he's saying there's a day coming. So if you are in rebellion from him and turning away from him, he is going to send things in your life. Quite often you think they're disruptions or they're hardships or whatever the case, but more times than not they're coming so they can wake you up to follow after him. To find yourself close to him. To bring yourself back to him. C.S. Lewis says in his book, The Problem of Pain, and Lewis, uh, if, you, if you don't know his story, married a woman who he knew had cancer. He knew she was going to die, it was terminal, and he wanted to care for her. And so as he did, he wrote this book, and he's dealing with this issue of pain. And he says, God whispers to us in our pleasures. He speaks to our conscience, but he shouts in our pain. It is his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. Lewis is saying it's your pain that's ultimately, the high, no way you can, you can understand this maybe, but it's your pain that is for your good. It's this difficulty that's for your good because if you don't wake up in your sin or in your rebellion, then you're going to end up facing God on your own, in your own power, in your own strength on the day of the Lord, and you cannot stand there. So ultimately, he's trying to wake you up, Joel says, through this plague, through what's coming, to wake you up so that you know there's a day coming when you will have to answer to him and you don't need to be answering to him on your own. This plague, just like all of our difficult circumstances, just like all of our pain, just like all of our suffering even, this plague reflects a taste of the day of the Lord. Again, so it is for all of our suffering. Y'all know on the day of the Lord, there's only two judgments that will be rendered. There's only two judgments that will be given. The first judgment will be for those who are still in their sins, thinking they know better, and they will be judged to an eternity of suffering, weeping and gnashing of teeth. You don't believe me? That's Jesus' words himself. They will be judged to an eternity of weeping and gnashing of teeth, an eternity of suffering through the punishment of hell because of their sinfulness and rebellion to a holy and righteous God. That's what their judgment will be. Their eternity will be of suffering. And so anytime suffering comes our way, it gives us a little taste, just a little glimpse of what eternity will be like without Jesus. But those who trust in Jesus, every tear will be wiped away. Their sadness will be turned to joy. Hope will be met finally with Him face to face. All, everything wrong will be done away with and will be made right. Either you have eternal suffering in eternity or you have eternal joy in eternity. That's the only two judgments that can be rendered. And what Joel is saying here is this plague is just a glimpse of what eternal suffering is going to look like for you. It's just a glimpse of what difficulty you'll face if you don't follow after the Lord. Wake up from your sin. Wake up. The alarm has been sounded for you. So whatever suffering here, whatever hardship here, whatever difficulty here is a megaphone, as C.S. Lewis says, a megaphone to our deaf soul. And what does does Joel say then? Repent. Repent. Turn away from that sin. No more of this rebellion. No more of this following after you Repent and turn away. You have seen God in his actions here. You don't want those. Repent and turn to him. Joel chapter 3 is all about this day of the Lord. It comes to that passage we mentioned just a few weeks ago in Joel chapter 3 verse 16. The Lord roars from Zion and utters his voice from Jerusalem and the heavens and the earth quake. When the Lord comes, judgment comes. The heavens and the earth will recognize his judgment. But those who know him, the Lord will be a refuge to his people, a stronghold tells us here that the day of the Lord is coming. Joel makes the point that we don't know when that day is. We're not sure when it will come. So how do you prepare for something that you know is coming, yet you don't know when it will be? That's the whole point of the prophets. Today you prepare for it. You get ready now. You know for sure it's coming, but you don't know when it may come. So today is the day. Turn back to him. The alarm has been sounded. The call has been made. Follow after him. Just as he, Joel, got your attention that the Lord's day is coming and suffering here is only going to get greater on that day. If you're in rebellion to him, there is a way, Joel says, for you to escape to escape that judgment, to escape that suffering. There is a way. Chapter 2, he tells us there in chapter 2. In chapter 2, verse 30, 32. Really the second half of that verse. For in Mount Zion and in Jerusalem, there shall be those who escape the day of the Lord, as the Lord has said, and among the survivors shall be those whom the Lord calls. So here as he calls out in chapter 2 verse 1, arise, get up, come, the Lord is calling to you and those that escape the judgment of the Lord will be those who come to him when he calls. Those who come to him when he calls. And you say, well, how am I going to know when that's going to be? How am I going to know when he calls out to us? Well, probably the most famous passage in all of Joel is Joel chapter 2 verses 28 through 32. Joel chapter 2 verses 28 through 32 is famous because this passage tells us the day is coming. We don't really know how, we don't really know when. The day is coming when the Lord will call you to himself, when the Lord will call you out of sin. And he'll use anybody and everybody to do it. Listen to what it says. It shall come to pass afterwards that I'll pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams. Your young men shall see visions, even on the male and female servants. In those days, I will pour out my spirit, and I will show wonders in the heavens on the earth, blood and fire and columns of smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness, the moon to blood before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. He's saying there is going to be a way out for you. I'm going to alert you. When it comes, my people will tell you. They will call you out. They will say to you, come to the Lord. And if you call on his name, you shall be saved. And why does this pass? We don't necessarily know, know when it's coming. We don't necessarily know how it's all going to look from here in Joel 2. But why is this passage famous? It's because we see this passage again in the book of Acts. In Acts chapter 2. In Acts chapter 2 on the day of Pentecost. The Holy Spirit comes down and and those who were there, the apostles and the the, the followers of the Lord begin to speak to tell of the, the mystery they have seen is now becoming unveiled in Christ. They begin to tell it. And Peter, everybody's saying, what's going on? Are they drunk? What's happening? We need to figure this out. Peter steps up, and Peter explains to them exactly what has happened. These people aren't drunk. These people are nothing, nothing crazy. It's early in the morning. These people have the Spirit of God on them. And when he says this, he points them exactly to Joel chapter 2. Peter is saying what happens here at Pentecost, what's happened now with the coming of the Spirit is that God in his great mercy is sending his people out to tell you that Jesus has come. The alarm has been sounding. The day of the Lord is coming near. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Call on his name and you'll find escape from that day. That's exactly what Peter is saying. In fact, Peter is uncovering a mystery here. Y'all want to know what happened? Y'all remember there on on Golgotha and the earth shook and the, the sun went black and the moon turned to blood? You remember all of that stuff that happened? Let me tell you what all of that is about. Jesus suffered, died, he was raised, the Spirit came, and now, now you must repent. In fact, this is the very message that Peter gives after he tells them, that what you see happening here is the name of the Lord being proclaimed for what has happened has been God shouting his megaphone to all of you that salvation has come. It has come. So he says at the end of his message in verse 38, repent and be baptized, every one of you. Don't stay in your sin. God has sent his son. He has come. And Peter is prophesying because he's opening up this mystery, if you will, to explain exactly what happened. Just as Joel opened up the mystery to explain to them what the plague meant, Peter is opening up the mystery to explain to them what Jesus did, what these events meant. Paul uses this idea over and over again in his letters. He calls the the gospel itself the mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now it has been revealed in Colossians 1. He uses that idea over and over again. The day of the Lord is coming. Trust in the one that has already faced it for you. That's the mystery that has been revealed. That God's judgment is not going to just be swept under the rug. God's judgment is not just going to be discarded. God has already placed his judgment upon his son who has finished it and answered it completely for us. And so now you can find escape from the judgment of God through the son, Jesus Christ. Now you can find that escape. That's the mystery that has now been unveiled unveiled in the gospel. Now the question may come. What about events that happen today? Anytime we see this with Joel, we're thinking, well, man, I would love for somebody to explain to us what what took place with the pandemic and what was the Lord doing there? I'd love for for someone to explain to us what happens with all of these tragedies in our country, what happened with that tsunami where 260,000 people were killed in a day. I'd love for the Lord to explain to us why all of these things take place, why all of these things happen. I need to know those kind of thoughts. But we don't don't get it. There's a passage, Luke 13, that will help us with this. Luke 13, people had those same questions to Jesus. Jesus was teaching. He seemed to have authority. Of course, he did. And so people came to him, and they asked him about two tragic events There was some present, this is verse one, the very time we told him about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. And he answered them, do you think that these Galileans were worse sinners of all the other Galileans because they were suffered in this way? No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will likewise perish. Perish. Or those 18 on whom the tower in Siloam fell and killed them, do you think that they were worse offenders than all the others who lived in Jerusalem? No, I tell you. But unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Here they come with these questions about this massacre that Pilate pulls off. And Jesus takes it and he says, not only I'll take you that massacre, let me tell you about the, the tower that fell at Siloam. You want to know an explanation for that? You want to know what happened? Were they sinners and that was God's judgment? Were they sinners and that was that was God's judgment on them? Jesus says, unless you repent, you will likewise perish. Jesus does not answer their question as to their sin or his sin. Jesus just simply says, All of us before God will die. Some it may be in a massacre. Some it may be when a tower falls. Some it may be of cancer. Some it may be of this and of that. It may just be of old age, but every single one of you will die. And unless you repent, you will likewise perish. We oftentimes want the answers to these things as if that will help us. When the answer before us is this, we all will have to face the judgment of God. And unless we face it with Christ Jesus as our savior, we too will likewise perish. However it is we pass, we too will perish. You see, Joel is telling them, this is God's grace to you. His megaphone to your soul. He's coming in judgment. Unless you repent, you will die. And he has made a way. Death is coming to us all. God has made a way. And this is what it says in Acts chapter 2. He says, this is what we do as believers. We sound the alarm. It doesn't matter if you're a man or you're a woman, if you're a slave or you are free. It doesn't matter what position you in. You become the ones who announce it, just like Joel did. You tell of the mystery that has now been unveiled in Christ. You tell others that there's a way of hope and salvation. You proclaim the good news of Christ, what this is today. Even as we gather in here to sing and to hear the word of God proclaimed is an announcement, a call to repent for the judgment day is coming. That is God's kindness to us. That the Spirit of God rests on his people and they now prophesy. They unveil a mystery that has now been unveiled in Christ. They tell others of here's what it is. Here's what's happened. And so now, the question always comes to what about us? God cares about you and he cares about your eternal soul. Where you will be And there's really only one of two places. And your circumstances in your life right now, you may think God's disrupting things. You may think this is good or bad, whatever the case. God is seeking to get your attention. Things are going great. He's whispering to you, this is all because of me. It only gets better. It only gets better. Things are going bad. He's yelling to you, turn, trust me, follow me. He's drawing you closer to himself because his goal is not just to make everything perfect happen in your life. His goal is to carve you into the image of his son and to bring you safely home. And sometimes, sometimes our circumstances, although they seem bad on our side, they are for our good, as Romans eight twenty eight says, because they get us there. Joel ends with a promise, the same promise, really, that we have at the end of the scriptures themselves. That promise is, throughout that day of judgment and its coming, yet you shall know that I am the Lord your God who dwells in Zion, my holy mountain. And Jerusalem shall be holy, and strangers shall never again pass through it. And in that day the mountains shall drip sweet wine, and the hills shall flow with milk, and all the steam beds of Judah shall flow with water, and a fountain shall come forth from the house of the Lord. God will replenish his people. He will replenish his people. And that's what we are called to. We're called to a day when God will make everything wrong right again. And our suffering and our circumstances quite often are our our call from God to follow him and trust him. So we repent. We turn to him and we put our life in his hands. Let's pray together. Father, thank you so much for your kindness to us. God, you are good and you're faithful. God, today through your spirit, may you unveil the mystery to everyone. May they all see, God, with clear eyes, not a mystery anymore, but the truth, the unveiled truth that Jesus Christ is Lord, Savior, and Lord. And if they trust in him, they have everlasting life. God, some people are here today with difficult circumstances. Help them, God, to see those as a blessing that calls them closer to you. For you have a life waiting on them that is far more glorious than they could ever imagine. God, use whatever it is you use. Do whatever it is you do through the power of your spirit to call your people to yourself. And that may be the case today, Father. Maybe today there's someone here that needs to respond to your kindness, to your call, your clear call to them to follow you. God, I pray that even at this moment, they would respond. Even at this moment, you would, you would work in their hearts and you would open their eyes to see, to hear that call and to see a Savior that loves them and they would flee, flee to that Savior. Thank you, God, for all that you're doing in the midst and in this place. We praise you and we honor you in Jesus' name. Amen. Man, if you're here today and that's you, you've heard that call from the Lord and you see his face and today you need to go to him. Don't waste, don't wait another minute. For as the scripture teaches us, death is coming to us all. We just don't know when. So today is the day of salvation. Pastor Nathan, Pastor Stephen will be standing in the back. They'd love to speak to you, to receive you, to help you through this. Being a part of our church, being part of the vision we do, today is a day for you to join with us. Let's stand together and sing.